doesn't matter how much you want to help people. You have to put your oxygen mask on before you can help others, right? It seems backwards, but it is the reality of this thing. Welcome to Working On Your Business, Not In It, a show that helps you reclaim your free time and build your business to run itself. I'm Scott Somerville, and my goal is to help you avoid the common mistakes that keep small business owners from doing the things they want to do instead of merely doing the things that they have to. A subject I often hear being hotly debated is what determines the value of the product or offer that you are providing in your business. Often it will be stated that the amount of time spent laboring on your product is the sole determining factor in the creation of value. I may lose some of you here, but I disagree. As you've heard me state, our core offer has many components to it apart from the commodity or service that is actually being produced. In much the same way, value is an amalgamation of various pieces of your core offer that lead to an increased perceived or inherent value to that core offer. As we start to delegate and offload some of the work from your shoulders, this is vital to understand. When value is perceived as simply being created by time spent in creating the product or service, then unfortunately, the side effect here is that in this perspective, it's you that has to do the work and you've got to work harder. If time is the only thing that's going to make your product worth more to your customers in your eyes, then unfortunately, you've got to add more time and you're going to run out of that eventually. We've only got 24 hours in the day. So how do we make one plus one equal seven? That's how we perceive value creation. Regardless of your level of expertise or capital invested, value will always be what the customer perceives and how they feel about shopping with you. In this episode, we will discuss making a Long Island iced tea and how to increase or decrease the value of this Long Island iced tea. I love the analogy of using a Long Island iced tea or a cappuccino or whatever consumable product that we buy in public, often from a franchise, how these products that we could quote unquote make at home, why do we go out and buy them for exorbitantly large amounts of money comparatively in a more convenient context? What determines what value actually is? And I don't mean price. I mean how a product that you provide is actually valued. To me, value is simply what people perceive it to be. And this is borrowed from Michael Gerber. You'll find that a lot of this is borrowed from Michael Gerber, by the way. I love his book, The E-Myth Revisited. But I believe that's a direct Michael Gerber quote. Just wanted to throw that in there. Now, I know you're saying, cool story, bro. But it's important to be realistic here. There are so many overly complicated definitions of value out there, and they often will confuse a small business owner. When discussing this with friends, I'll often ask, can you make a Long Island iced tea? To which they typically answer, uh, yes, of course, dude. And at first glance, uh, making a Long Island iced tea seems pretty simple. By the way, this is probably my favorite drink, and I don't even know how to make them. <laughs> But they're actually fairly complicated to make. It's, I don't know if you had a Long Island, but they, they do the trick, if you know what I'm saying. And then I don't drink often, so I'm a cheap date. <laughs> so 
the people who say, of course, they can make one will will go on to explain how they mix the various types of liquor, vodka, tequila, triple sec, rum. They throw in some Coke. They add a lemon. It's simple, right? Um, no, that's that's very wrong. Making a Long Island iced tea by yourself, I mean. Let's say you do have the arcane knowledge of how to mix this amazing drink. You most likely don't understand how to distill liquor, right? You don't know how to cast a glass. Let's say you've got these under wraps. Like, you do know how to distill liquor. Sometimes people go, oh, yeah, I do know how to distill liquor. <laughs> and occasionally, even rarer, they will say they know how to make a glass somehow. I would still wager that you don't know how to create all the components of a complex refrigeration system. I mean, there's like little copper tubes and condensers and wiring and soldering and so on and so forth, right? On top of that, you still have to maintain the infrastructure for growing lemons, which is possibly even more complicated than creating a refrigeration system. You could definitely grow a lemon tree. I'm not saying you couldn't do that, but it's not as easy as it sounds. So you've got the liquor distilled. You've got the glass. You've got the ice now because you've somehow manufactured a refrigeration system. You've got lemons because you have a lemon tree in your yard, right? Now you've got to forge a knife and mill a handle for the knife to cut the lemons. It's complicated stuff. So when I ask, can you make a Long Island iced tea? Of course, I'm being a little facetious or sarcastic. Yeah, you could go to the liquor store and the grocery store and buy all the stuff and Walmart and get a knife. But this doesn't properly demonstrate how value is created. So by combining all of these components into one product in the proper context, this is how you're going to build value in the entrepreneurial sense. And this is how you're going to build value with your business. It's not, again, it's not simply mowing the lawn. It's, it's the way in which you bring all of these components together that provides a landscaping experience, right? So let's say you have the incredibly rare ability to manufacture a Long Island iced tea. We still aren't done building value in its entirety, right? You still need to put it in front of someone who wants it. So context is going to matter just as much as the ability to create the Long Island iced tea and the components of that Long Island iced tea. A Long Island iced tea in DC is probably going to cost me like $15, right? But in theory, I could make one at home for a few dollars. Now, don't get me wrong, you got to buy all the stuff, but the ingredients of that Long Island is going to be probably like $5 maximum. If I'm in DC at some kind of event, like a music festival or something, the price is probably going to be even higher. They rip you off. But remember, ripping you off is it's business. Not advocating you do that, but it's important to remember when you're thinking about how you build value in your particular business. We're not ripping people off, okay? We're providing them what they want at a premium. It's all going to matter on the ability to provide the product in the most unique way and location as possible, right? And to clarify, unique here doesn't mean overly extraordinary, but it needs to be unique to the buyer, right? One perspective that I hear often from skilled technicians is that labor is the most involved aspect of value creation. Like just doing something is what creates value or labor itself is what creates value. 
and that having an extremely specialized set of knowledge or skill set is what determines the price and or value of the product offer, right? Even though this is offensive to uh, all senses of reason, I couldn't disagree more, actually. And hear me out. I know this probably is potentially pissing some of you off already, right? A close friend of mine is a skilled painter. He creates amazing works of art. Uh, it's extremely dedicated to detail. On top of this, he is very kind and will help anyone who needs it, right? Often he will lament that he doesn't make enough money or that he wants to be able to help people in need, people that can't necessarily afford his services to get their house painted or whatever thing that they're uh, looking to have painted by him. In our conversations, he will uh, often get a little heated with me, by the way. This, this is, the thing about all this is it's counterintuitive, right? I will describe the above, and often the conversation will turn toward the unfairness of things. I personally think that it speaks more to, the, again, the counterintuitive nature of things. I'll ask, if you were in the middle of the Amazon, would your skills as a painter have value? And understandably, this will produce an emotional response. It may for you as well. But remember, we are building a functioning business here. You need to go off the data and, and remember, this is what works and this doesn't, right? The truth is that in the Amazon, the ability to paint a house or a mural will have far less value than the ability to hunt and gather food or administer first aid or other survival-related skills. And that's, again, what you see happening in these extreme environments, right? The person who has this wide range of knowledge of forest medicine and the ability to like know where water is and, and how to find food, those dudes are the ones, or dudettes, by the way, they're the ones who the tribe tends to protect and spend resources on to keep alive and they listen to those people, right? So what's the solution for my painter friend? Is it to offer his services for free or an extremely discounted rate so that he, you know, gets a ton of work, right? I personally argue against this one a lot, right? Eventually it will lead to burnout and resentment of the work. You're just taking on every client under the sun, you feel completely devalued. You don't have the ability to take time off. You don't have the ability to do the things you want to do. Is the solution to go to trade school to learn how to be a better painter? Possibly, but this alone won't solve the problems, right? Even, again, even if you're in the wrong context, if you're not building value in the right way, it doesn't matter how well you can make the Long Island iced tea. It doesn't matter how good of a painter you are. And it doesn't matter how good of a dog trainer you are. If no one is hiring you and no one's paying you what you need to be paid in order to survive and, in my opinion, thrive, because survival isn't our goal, by the way, thriving is our goal, it doesn't matter. The thing that does matter is bringing all of the various components of your business, of your product offer together in a way that generates the most revenue and eventually creates the most amount of profit for you to do it because that's what's going to enable free time and reinvesting into your business and your community and so forth. So how can my painter friend combine various elements to create a product that will solve his and his customers' problems? In what context can he offer this premium product so that he's selling $15 Long Island iced teas to willing customers? The first and most obvious step is to create a billboard, right? To create and not in the literal sense, but some kind of mechanism by which people can find him, right? 
So once that billboard is completed, now that people can at least find him, he's going to need to determine how much money does he need to actually make to support himself and his ventures, and then build a USP that fulfills that price point. Not many businesses, especially small businesses, determine what the amount of money they need to make. Setting their GPS to their determined amount of income and then going backwards and creating the thing that actually produces that. If you are selling your customers a product that solves their needs, you are not stealing from them, right? You're not being a bad person. You're charging them the required amount to provide the thing they need. It sounds really, really simple and kind of obvious, but we have a tendency, especially as self-employed technicians, to overly empathize with people. And often we've kind of come from like a, a position of poverty or difficult upbringings. We go, oh, well, I wouldn't be able to afford this. I wouldn't be able to hire myself at this price point. I'm gonna provide myself for free. I've honestly fell into the same trap, as you know, if you listen to the first episode, but it's not going to solve your problems of not having free time and running and building the business in a way that operates without you involved in every single aspect of the business. We tend to think that if we build it, they will come, right? Like uh, Wayne's World or whatever. Uh, but that's literally what everyone does. Why compete in a pool with everyone in it instead of building that road right to your door? That is what we're going to be doing on this show. We're going to be building a gold brick road with refreshments along the way and free Wi-Fi <laughs> as the people make it to your potential USP, right? Make it so easy for your clients to book with you that it would be silly for them not to. Build out your copy and marketing materials so that you attract the exact clients that you want. When we're setting the amount of money that he needs to be making, what I personally would be doing would be to look to make enough money to be able to work about 20 hours a week and maybe spend the other 20 hours painting houses for a reduced rate, right? If you can offset your total income by helping out certain people and charging an exorbitantly higher rate to, again, those who are willing to pay that for a specific service, then you've got the best of both worlds, right? You are, you're helping out people, but you're also making enough money to take the time off you want or whatever it is you're trying to use that, that extra profit for, right? It's probably possible even that you could include this as part of your USP. Quote, a portion of the profits generated will go towards renovating the homes of the less fortunate in your area. Not only are you helping out others by hiring us, but you are increasing your property value as well, end quote. You're welcome, by the way, <laughs> if you're a painter, that is, of course. I mean, you can use this profit-generating mechanism to not only help yourself, but to help your potential clients become happier customers, happier people, right? It's very strange. Again, back to dog training, I used to charge a lot less money than I do now, and I found that the more money I charged the more I had successful clients. They valued the product more, they treated me better again, and this enabled me to take care of all these things I keep harping about, free time, vacations, paying my employees more, offering a better service to my clients, right? 
So again, back to my my painter roommate, I would also have him build a website and a lead generating tool that weans out the clients, as I mentioned, who are shopping on price. So back to my painter roommate, I would also build into the website and lead generating tool a process that weans out clients who are shopping on price, right? Wean out the clients who will complain until you have to discount your services. Offer to warranty the work. Offer super fast completion. Offer to allow them to book out in advance. If they do this, I was literally just doing a pet sitting gig at someone who booked the painting service while they were on vacation. So they came home to a painted house. I mean, I think that's brilliant to do as a painting service. The trick here is you have to think about what makes your offer different, right? Think about what your client wants to experience when they buy from you. That's what the solution to the problems that my painter roommate friend is having. It doesn't matter how much you want to help people. You have to put your oxygen mask on before you can help others, right? It seems backwards, but it is the reality of this thing. So you've built out an amazing lead generating tool, right? You've hired staff to follow up with those leads. You've automated this process even with the use of technology, Calendly, I think Wix and Squarespace, they have these things built in where they, you just automate the whole booking process, right? Booking with you is incredibly simple. You offer a super fast completion service at a premium price. You offer booking on federal holidays at a premium. You've priced out the clients who will annoy you into poverty. You are also charging a premium for immediate service, right? You've policied out the rest by requiring a non-refundable deposit. So if you schedule my time, you pay a deposit and you are not refunded if you cancel. That lets you keep a portion of that money and then you can charge that premium for immediate service. It's beautiful. <laughs> now you're running a profitable business that enables you to paint houses of the less fortunate in your free time. And yes, you've got free time again too, by the way. Of course, there is far more that goes into identifying and advertising to these potential clients, but first you must reset your GPS to the right goal, which of course isn't having people pay you as little money as possible for your services. Hopefully this episode helped you understand a little bit better how value is created in your business. If you did find the content helpful, head over to Facebook and join us at Working On Your Business, where you can continue the learning process. Let's help each other build a thriving business community and avoid a lot of the common problems that small business owners tend to run into.